Hello, and thanks for listening to Political Journeys. This is Brian Nestandy, and today's guest is Jim Brulty. Jim is a uh, former state assemblyman, former state senator, and currently chairman of the California State Republican Party. And on today's um, show, we'll talk about, we'll cover a lot of ground on politics, mainly politics, and some stories of Jim's um, growing up and uh, what influenced him to become involved. And I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Apparel, the Apparel Company No Sleep Club. Actually, I'm just kidding. That's my uh, stepson's company that he started while in college, and I just want to see if uh, any of the kids are listening. Anyways, hope you enjoy the show. All right, Jim Brulty, thanks for being on Political Journeys. Great to see you. Thanks for letting me be here. And uh, if we could start literally from the beginning, where the hell is Glen Cove, New York? Glen Cove <laughs> is out on Long Island. Um, it's just one of the small communities out on Long Island. And I was born in that hospital. Interestingly enough, former assemblyman, former state senator, and former superintendent of public instruction in the state, Jack O'Connell, was born in the very same hospital. You got to be kidding. No, now, Jack. How did you guys discover that first? Jack. Well, first of all, I'm, sh- I'm relatively sure there's only one hospital in Glen Cove. <laughs> I, I didn't spend a lot of time there. I was born there and then. You know, the next day or two days later, my parents took me home. Um, But Jack figured it out once, and uh, he was giving a speech talking about how he was born in the left wing of the hospital and I was born in the right wing of the hospital. That's pretty good. Which was a pretty good joke, but I'm pretty sure it was such a dinky hospital that it didn't have wings. (laughs) Um, I don't think it's like, you know, I don't think it's like Eisenhower (laughs) Memorial or any of the hospitals we have out here in the desert. Did your family know any of the same people by any chance? Did you get that deep into it? Not, not that I'm aware of. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, you know, I, I always say you, you don't have to make things up. Truth is always stranger than fiction. Um, there was a family uh, called the Gordons, Bill and Jean Gordon, the parents, and they lived on the street behind us about three or four houses down in a city called Syosset in Long Island. We did not know them, um, but within the same six-month period, my family, my parents moved, and the Gordons moved to Ontario, California, and we bought a house on Amber Court in Ontario, and they bought a house in Amber Court you in gotta Ontario. you got to be kidding me. So we lived less than 100 yards from each other uh, in Syosset, did not know them. They moved all the way across the country. My family moved all the way across the country and we moved within a hundred yards of each other. And, um, that that's impossible odds. I mean, you know, I, I, you'd have to, you know, yeah. I, my math skills certainly can't calculate those odds. You need a quantum computer to, um, but you know, I played, um, I played little league with their oldest son, Steve, my brother, Rick went to school with their youngest son, Bill. Um, we just uh, buried um, Dr. Uh, Gordon, Bill's parent, uh, uh, dad. Uh, we just buried him about a month ago. But yeah, it's what, what were you walking precincts and met them or something? Well, no, I lived on a small cul-de-sac. I, I, I oh, so there were just, less than yeah. there were less than twenty houses on this cul-de-sac, um, which was wonderful. It was a cul-de-sac um, that abutted the freeway, uh, the six, the ten freeway, San Bernardino Freeway. And um, right near the top of the cul-de-sac was a sewer, um, what are they? Manhole cover. Yeah, whatever. manhole yeah. cover. And we used to, when we were kids, that was home plate, and we used to play baseball, you know, with yeah. this rubber baseball. And we were kids. You couldn't, you couldn't hit it hard enough to get it, over hit, the freeway. Get it into it. <laughs> well, we played, the freeway was behind us. Um, and there were, you know, there were uh, houses on either side. You, you couldn't hit it hard enough 
to break a car window. You couldn't hit, you know, if you yeah. hit it into a neighbor's yard, it was a pretty big hit for, you know, a seven or an eight year old. Yeah. But uh, it's well, just that's, one of those interesting things. Yeah, that's just a hell of a coincidence. Um, so growing up, uh, when did you first start thinking about politics? Were your, were your parents involved in any way or? Yes, my mother was, uh, we moved to Ontario in 1960. I was four. I was born in 56. We moved uh, in June of 1960. Um, I don't remember much of New York, and I really don't remember much of the early years here. You know, President Kennedy was killed when I was seven. I don't really remember that. My brother remembers my dad crying, um, but I don't remember that. My older brother does. Um, when I was 10, I was invited to um, help paint uh, a couple of rooms in the Republican headquarters because, you know, we, we didn't have a lot. So my dad used to, when the house had to be painted, he painted the inside, and I got to paint with him. You know, every kid, most kids want to do what their dad got to do. Um, and so uh, there was a couple of rooms inside this Republican headquarters on the corner of Euclid and G Street in Ontario, and I painted it. My mother was uh, active in the California Federation of Republican Women. My dad was actually a precinct captain um, for Reagan in 1966. Ronald Reagan was running for governor at the time. So... Um, so you were quickly enmeshed early on in, in politics and more. Sure, yeah. you know you're painting the the headquarters. They looked, I guess, pretty decent. They didn't, you know, they didn't say don't do this ever again. <laughs> as and far they, as you know, they invited. <laughs> yeah, as far as I know, they invited me uh, to get involved. And as this ten year old kid, I put bumper stickers on cars for Ronald Reagan. He was running for governor now. I was 10, and I didn't know you actually had to get people's permission to I put did bumper stickers on cars. Thing. <laughs> and do you remember? Now, I'm a little older than you, but you may not remember what bumper stickers were like in 1966. They don't come off. They don't come off. You put them on. <laughs> not easily, at least. You put them on. It takes you, you all of a couple, three, four seconds to put them on, and it takes three or four days to get them off. You could, you know, we had those chrome bumpers, right, right. those heavy chrome bumpers, right. and um, I spent a lot of time taking bumper stickers off cars, but that was my introduction. To I politics. remember... Um, same, I was with my mom. I can't believe, I think she let me do this. I'm just knowing her, who she was, she wouldn't have, but I think she actually did. I'm going around, I just, I was maybe even younger than that. It was during Nixon's campaign. So we had Nixon bumper stickers, and I put one over a McGovern bumper sticker on a car, and the guy caught me. He, like, comes walking up or something as soon as I'm doing it. So what are you doing? I said, oh, my God. And I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. Anyways, that was a... Well, you couldn't have been, you couldn't have been more than 10. Yeah, I was probably about 10, yeah. Anyways, so fun yeah, and games. That's how I started. So what, what did your dad do? What kind of work? My dad was um, uh, in the aerospace industry. In the 1960s, a lot of people moved from the East Coast to California because that was where the aerospace industry was. You know, uh, Howard Hughes had created his company. There was a company called North American Rockwell. There was a company called Autonetics. Um, my dad had actually worked at Lieber Brothers in New York. Um, but my dad was kind of a, a math guy. Um, he wasn't, you know, a math genius, but he was really good with numbers. So he was... Um, he was involved in a lot of the aerospace industry. Um, in pro they referred to them as uh, black programs. The black programs were programs that were secret and mm -hmm. top secret. Um, you know, you've heard about, the, I think it's called the Skunk Works at Lockheed. And so I never, growing up, I never really got to know what he did because mm -hmm. he worked with the defense industry in these programs there where you weren't allowed to to uh Take to talk about you. it yeah and um he ended up uh as uh, a division pricing manager at uh trw in uh redondo beach 
and what he would do would you know he'd he'd figure out what it would cost for TRW to build a satellite and the way the contracts worked um, you know you you get paid X amount to build a satellite if it stays up there longer than it's supposed mm -hmm. to you get X plus and you know so his, he was a famous. numbers cruncher yeah. and um, mm. within the satellite division so uh, so when you're getting involved at 10 years old and painting the office and so forth uh, so your republic your parents were Republican mm -hmm. obviously you're Republican going to into high school were you involved in, in any way were you did you stay connected or yeah I did um, you know I was always you know, the thing I like about the Republican Party is kind of free enterprise. I used to say to my dad, you know, why, why does my older brother get more allowance than I do when I do more chores than he does? Shouldn't we, like, put uh, a price on mowing the backyard and mowing the front yard and mowing, uh, <laughs> washing the cars and doing the garage? We had that, actually. Well, we, we did. We had a list. So, so I, I, I was like... Why, why shouldn't I get paid more if I do more? So I was always market-based <laughs> as a kid. And um, Did he and answer your question of why he gets paid more? I, you know, he, he said, mind your own business. And well, I, you know, I don't remember it that much. <laughs> but it was, kidding. you know, generally, he used to say, you know, we're a democratic house. We believe in democracy. You each have a vote. My mom had one, I had one, my brother Bob had one, and my brother Rick had one. He said, you each have one vote, and I have five. <laughs> so, so we kind of did it his way. Um, it's like and, stacking a rules committee. Hey, you know, it is what it is. It's, you know, it's one of the, the fond memories. I, lo I love the man. He was, he was brilliant. He used, to say, he used to say some brilliant things, and I quote him all the time. That's um, great. My favorite, my favorite is... Uh, the way little fish grow up to be big fish is by not taking the bait. Yeah. You know, and in politics, yeah. you get all these people that want to bait you. Yeah. And, you that's, know, it's, you, you, you take that's the bait. good in a lot of fields. generally too. hurts you. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, so during that time, um, foreign policy, as, as you're in high school, Carter was president then, or were you? Well, in, when I was in high school, um, I got into high school during the second year of the Nixon administration. I, I was in high school from 70 to 71, 71, 72, 72, 73, and yeah. 73, 74. So President Nixon, was, uh, President Nixon was elected when I was in seventh grade. So how did Watergate shape you? Do, what did you feel? Because I remember what I thought and felt. What? Well, what were you thinking? so let me start by saying my dad, I think my dad went to his grave believing Richard Nixon never told a lie. So let me put, put that out there. Um, I, I found it fascinating um, because I was coming of age and um, it was interesting because... It was always on the news, and it was kind of like a who done it, and you didn't know, you know, you didn't know who did it, and, you know, I think Republicans generally give Republican elected officials the benefit of the doubt, and I think Democrats give Democrat elected officials the benefit of the doubt. So I I remember believing uh, President Nixon right up until I didn't believe him. Um, when the evidence was clear, he didn't. I was, I graduated on a Wednesday in June from high school, and on Sunday I was at Lackland Air Force Base at basic training um, because I enlisted right out of high school. We didn't have a draft. The, the war was over. Um, and I was actually in basic training um, and in a technician school at Lackland Air Force Base when President Nixon resigned. So I didn't, I didn't get to follow it the last, you know, from, from June to late August, I really didn't get to follow it in detail, which was disappointing, but, you know, not as disappointing as being yelled at by people for, you know, <laughs> run faster, right. do more push-ups, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, put, get your, up that hill. put your cover on when you're outside. <laughs> so, um, so you're in the air, 
Uh, I'm sorry, wait, what branch were you in? Well, I enlisted in the California Air National Guard, okay. but uh, the Guard went to Air Force basic training down at Lackland Air Force Base. For how many years were you in? Um, oh, I enlisted in 1974. Um, I was commissioned in 1980. And um, I left the Guard uh, in 1990 uh, after I had won the primary to run for the state assembly in a seat that was considered a safe seat. I just didn't think I could be an effective representative yeah. of my community if I was taking one weekend out of every month off to leave. Yeah. So I, I did um, 16 years. So when you're, um, so you're in, well, let's go back then to say, did you run before you, you won your first office? Had you run previously? No. Um, I, were you working in campaigns? Well, I had um, I had been involved in campaigns. You know, I walked precincts in a special election for John Russolo, a former. I remember. You know, we elected him to congressman. Um, I had worked to help elect David Dreyer. Um, so him. I, you know, I had gotten involved. I was involved all the way from junior high. You know, whether it was stuffing envelopes or making phone calls or walking precincts. I was involved in high school. In college, I did an internship. Wait, where'd you go to college? I went to uh, three colleges. I went to uh, Chafee College in 1974-1975. I went to Azusa Pacific College um, and then ran out of money and went back to Chafee College to get units. And then I went back to Azusa Pacific and then I ran out of money again because I, nobody was paying my, uh, no one could pay for my, my parents couldn't pay for my college education. So I had to work uh, while I was in school. It took me six years to get a college degree. I ran out you of money me, a actually. second time, <laughs> ran out of money a second time and ended up going to Cal Poly Pomona for my last year. And I got uh, a bachelor's degree in political science from Cal Poly Pomona. Okay. But when so, I was at Cal Poly, I did uh, an internship for a U.S. senator, S.I. Hayakawa. I got four units of credit. I got an A, which I'm pretty sure was one of the few A's I ever got when I was in college. I'm pretty much on academic probation most of my college career. Just kind of hanging on. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I didn't enjoy college. I, I wanted to get out in the real world, and I was studying political science, and here we're talking about theories, and frankly, I'd been involved in campaign politics for a decade, and I'm pretty sure some of my professors had never been involved in a campaign. Um, and so I graduated uh, in June, and interestingly enough, I was at the Republican National Convention in Detroit uh, in July. As one what of year? 1980. One of the young Californians for Reagan. And we nominated Ronald Reagan on a Wednesday night. And later that night, I got a call from the state director for Senator Hayakawa here in California, and I was offered a job. So my first job out of college was working for a U.S. senator. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then how long did you work for him? Um, I worked for him from July um, until January in California. I ran the mobile field office. He had a big Winnebago that uh, we drove up and down the state. You know, there are not enough. Most field offices for U.S. senators are in urban population centers. So if you live in Willow or you know, Trona, you don't get to see a senator or a staffer. So I went, drove around the state and did constituent service. And then I wanted to go to Washington, D.C. Uh, so I asked them to transfer me. And the only position they had open was receptionist. So I said, fine with me. <laughs> and so I went to Washington, D.C. I got there in early February, late January or early February. 81. Then. 81. I think I was the only male receptionist in the U.S. Senate at the time. I could be wrong, but, you know, I, I was proud. Well, and you're, you're, you're breaking, breaking glass ceilings there. Hey, I was, happy to, <laughs> I was happy to do it. I thought uh, 
it would be an interesting experience. I had, I went to Washington with six goals in mind. I wanted to work on Capitol Hill. I wanted to work at the Republican National Committee. I wanted to work at a Republican National Convention. I wanted to work in a presidential campaign. I wanted to work in the Reagan-Bush administration, and I wanted to work in the White House. And I did the first five and changed my mind about the sixth. I decided I didn't want to work in the White House. So I accomplished my well, goals and why, came home. Why not? Uh, it just, Seems um, you know, I... It just struck me as something I didn't want to do. You know, you, goals change over life. I, I ended up doing advance for Vice President Bush, uh, 41, George Herbert Walker Bush. And I did advance for him when he was uh, president. Um, so I got a lot of the benefits of being associated with the White House without having to physically work in the White House. And um, All right, so, so you just wanted to change change the direction and move back to California. Then. Yeah. So yeah. I accomplished my first five goals, changed my mind about the sixth, and in two thousand or uh, nineteen two thousand or well. in nineteen eighty six, uh, I made plans to come back home, and I moved back home in May of nineteen eighty six. So, your first campaign. Um, do you remember who your opponents were? Was yes. there more than one? Yes. Um, there were a number of people thinking of running. Um, one was a Pomona City Councilman by the name of Mark Nymeyer. And this was for State Assembly. Yes, right. this was 1990. He was an associate pastor of uh, a large church in Pomona, Central Baptist Church. And Fred Aguirre, the mayor hmm. of Chino, was going to run as well. Um, Fred ultimately decided not to run, and so Mark Nymeyer and I ran against each other. Um, I'm proud to say that I got 75% of the vote across the district. Um, I did better in Rancho Cucamonga. I did about 78%. But I even carried his hometown with 69% of the vote. Why? Be besides the fact that you're a great candidate, what... Was there was it a uh, rough campaign or was it just simply doing the hard work and he didn't? Well, I, you know, I think he was a hard worker. You know, Sun Tzu, uh, who I believe was a general in the Chinese military, the art of war, long, long time ago, used to say it's better to defeat your enemy before he puts his army in the battlefield. And I believe. Uh, and by the way, having worked at the Republican National Committee and having worked and seen presidential campaigns up close, um, I believe a lot of campaigns are won or lost before filing even opens. So, um, Okay, let's take a minute on that. Sure. Um, I can understand just the simple biography of the person running, that you know, how that might match up. Um, I assume you're saying you're gathering endorsements or, or getting support before sure. filing, locking people out maybe. What else would lead well, to that? Well, so I came back, and um, before I left, remember I said I had done advance for Vice President Bush, Mrs. Bush had agreed to come out to California and do a fundraiser for the San Bernardino County Republican Party. And I said, hey, I'd like you to hire me. And as executive director, I'll raise the money to pay my own salary. So, I mean, I think their budget was like $5,000 a year. And we came out back in 1986, I think we raised 30, 40, or $50,000 with Mrs. Bush. And that was the seed money to hire me. So I was the executive director of the Republican Party in San Bernardino County from 1986 until 1990. And as executive director, my job was to raise money for other people to elect other people and help elect Republicans. So when it came time to run, 
I had already known a lot of the major donors um, and I had known a lot of the elected officials. So every Republican mayor in the district endorsed me. Hmm. The Republican supervisors in the district endorsed me. Uh, the incumbent endorsed me. And um, back then you only could take $1,000 from anybody. Uh, that, you know, it's not like today where you can take unlimited for some campaigns. You could only take And there were no independent expenditures yeah. back then. And there, there really weren't independent expenditures. So I went out, and in the first period, the first half of 1989, I raised $45,000 and spent 2000 hmm. Mark Nymeyer went out and raised 24000 and spent 22,000 of it. Um, so I had this $45,000 advantage, which I think is why Fred Aguirre ultimately decided. I was assuming he, that. You know, was, he, yeah. he, he didn't officially drop out until the reports came out. And um, so because of all the work I had done helping elect other people, when it came time for me to run, most of them said, hey, you've been there for us. We want to be there for you. So in hindsight, that race was over before it began. I didn't think that at the time because when you're in the midst of battle, um, and so I outspent him uh, talking to voters in the mail. I outspent him about five or six to one. The uh, general election was irrelevant. As a it was yeah. It was a fairly um, it was a fairly safe Republican seat. The Democrats nominated a guy named Bob Irwin, who was uh, part of the Democrat machine in my community. He uh, he was a nice guy. I'm not sure he would have won a lot of IQ contests. I'm not. You know, it's just I don't think he was the brightest guy in the world. But he was a really good man. He believed in service. I disagreed with him politically, but I liked him a lot. We had one debate. He totally kicked my ass. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me in politics. Because, and you said never again, well, I assume. Well, I had, he had nothing to lose, and I had nothing to gain. You know, I, this was a Republican seat. I was going to win. And I was so interested in making sure I didn't say anything stupid. And he, you know, he had nothing to lose. So, I mean, I had family and friends who walked out horrified <laughs> at, at that debate. And, um, <laughs> you know, thank goodness it was televised. Thank by goodness no one watches those. It was <laughs> televised by the local cable public service uh, station, so I'm sure that you know 25 or 30 people saw it, and they were all related to me or him. But yeah, no, it it was it was horrific, and from the minute it started, I was stiff, and you know he was like freewheeling, and it it it, it I mean I remember the editor of the newspaper, who had called me a rising young political star. How old were you? Well, let's see. It was uh, 1990, so I was 34 when I started. I think I was 35 when I was elected. I have to do the math. I told you math is not my strong suit. Um, my birthday's in April, so I would have been 35 when I ran. But he was there, and you know, he had, you know a rising young political star and he was in the audience and he was totally shaken. I mean, it was like, you know, I'm pretty sure he walked out thinking, what the heck have I done? <laughs> well, like I said, it's probably one of those learning moments in your life where you were probably very prepared for the next debate in your life. Whenever well, yeah. Was. I mean, I, um, it was a good one to flub. You know, I, I, gosh, I hate to admit this. Um, I had one debate really wasn't a debate. I had one kind of forum with Mark Nymeyer in the primary. And, um, you know, this, your listeners are going to think I'm a knuck, knucklehead here, but I 
when I was a kid, I always thought that if I ever ran for office, although I didn't think I would, I was afraid to speak in front of people. I was afraid of public speaking. I'd well, that's not a good quality for a politician. Yeah, well, I've certainly gotten over it. Um, but I, uh, I had all, David Dreyer had these blue signs when he ran for Congress, he had these dark blue signs with this day glow yellow, <laughs> um, lime, and his name jumped out, you know. It was bright during the day, and if a light hit it, it was even brighter. Actually, I... I I know exactly. I remember seeing those. That, that he used those, I think, the rest of his life. Yeah, he used yeah. those the rest yeah. of his career. And I thought, you know, if I ever run for office, I want to have those colors, um, which is, you know, stupid thing to think about, right? The colors are your signs. If you, that's what you're thinking about, you probably shouldn't get elected, right? <laughs> well, Mark Nymeyer, when he ran for Pomona City Council, he had the same colors. He had blue dark background and this lime green, lime yellow. Um, and, you know, Nymeyer, these, you know, he had, to have, a big, he had to have a big sign, yeah. a four feet by eight feet sign for his name. And um, so I told my campaign team, whatever we do, we have to get our signs up first. <laughs> so, you know, because, so I got, I got my signs up first <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, there are sign ordinances that you can't put signs up more than 45 days in advance. These city councils pass these. They're, they're totally unconstitutional. The Supreme Court has ruled that you can't limit political speech. So I, I put my signs up a couple of days before the <laughs> rules allowed me. But, you know, I had the Constitution on my side. The founding fathers were with me. And then Nymeyer got his signs up. And we were at this one event with the Republican women. I don't remember where it was, but it was somewhere in the district. And right before the event started, I walked up to him and said, hey, I have a question for you. Why are you copying my <laughs> sign colors? And he got all upset and got all huffy. And you know, I wanted to get in his head. And uh, he said, you copied me. And so uh, when it came time for us to present, uh, he got up first. And this is how he started his presentation <laughs> to this room of 100-plus Republican voters. He said, first of all, I want to put an end to something. I want to be very clear. I did not copy Jim <laughs> Brulte's sign colors. Jim Brulte copied mine. And I think everybody in the Everyone's audience looking thought, at him going, what, what the heck doing? is this guy talking about? Uh, and I just sat there, you know, with this Cheshire cat smile on my <laughs> face. And I knew that it didn't matter what he said afterwards. That's um, good. And yeah. so, you know, I think I ended up getting the better end of that. But it was short-lived because after the primary, I did one event with uh, one debate with Bob Irwin, All and right. he totally kicked my butt. <laughs> so um, when you... You have, uh, I think, the record for being the party leader, uh, majority leader, or minority leader in both how both the assembly and the senate as a freshman. Yes. So, how did you pull that off getting there? Small talent pool. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we're going to talk to some of your colleagues there. Well, so I, I really believe who was leader. Um, well, Ross Johnson was a senator, or was an assemblyman who was leader, and then Bill Jones replaced him. Bill Jones ultimately went on to be Secretary of State for two terms. He's a great, great man, mm -hmm. a great man, wonderful uh, leader, good husband, great father. Should have been a U.S. senator. Very successful businessman. Would have been great in the U.S. Senate. But I, I really believe that the purpose of politics is to move a policy agenda. Some people think, you know, good politics is more important than good policy. And I believe good policy is good politics. So the only purpose of a political campaign is to elect somebody to move your agenda. I mean, I want people who have strongly held beliefs. I don't even have to agree with them. I'm one of the people I admired the most was uh, uh, John Burton, former D 
Democrat member of Congress, Democrat member of Assembly, Democrat member of the Senate. He was liberal when it was popular to be liberal. He was liberal when it was unpopular to be liberal. And I admire that. He didn't blow in the breeze with his political philosophy. I thought his philosophy was wrong, but I admire and respect the man. So I made it my mission when I was in Washington, D.C., to learn as much as I could about political campaigns and as much as I could about public policy. And then when I got back to Sacramento, um, I was fairly well versed on federal policy and I made it a point to get versed on state policy. You know, it's interesting, the best and the brightest in the political profession is in Washington, D.C. You know, this is, this is the game in the world. The best Republican operatives come out of D.C., the best Democrat operatives come out of D.C. And, you know, there's an institute at the State Department where Republican operatives and Democrat operatives go to other countries around the world to help the conservative and the liberal parties learn about democracy. So I was a very small fish in a very big pond when I was in Washington. I was a junior nobody. Um, in fact, when I became Senate leader, Ed Rollins, who you had on your show, who, you know... Had John Burton on also, worked, uh, worked in the White House, ran the Reagan re-elect. Uh, Rollins said to me when I was the Senate leader, if I knew how important you were going to become, I would have treated you a lot nicer <laughs> when you were like back Ed. in Washington, right. D.C. So I had... Um, I learned from the best of the best. And then I came to San Bernardino County, and I was a big fish in a little pond. And um, you know that argument about the bear, you know, the two guys? And the just guy got to be faster than the other guy. Ties his tennis <laughs> shoes. He said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to take off. He goes, you can't outrun a bear. He said, I don't have to outrun a bear. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> you know, I was a big fish in a little pond, and I just had to be a little better than people who didn't have the training that I did. And so when I got to Sacramento, um, even though I was a freshman, I understood the interaction between politics and policy. And I knew how to create coalitions. And I knew how to raise money. And I, I believed in service. I think most people, most people don't understand how to exercise power. The best way to exercise power is by not exercising power by giving power away. Real power is the ability to influence people. That's what real power is. You were in the assembly. I was in the assembly. When you vote, you push a green button. If you want a yes vote, you push a red button. When you want a no vote, right? They can train monkeys to do that. A monkey can go in and push a red button or push a green button. The ability to have influence is what real power is. So. I went in, and uh, as a freshman, you know, all these folks wanted to be, you know, the freshman class leader, and I was like, yeah, go ahead. You know, I just, so I learned the ropes of Sacramento yeah. without elevating myself. I didn't spend a lot of time talking to the press. I learned my job. I learned my colleagues. I found out about their families, what made them tick, what they wanted to do. In fact, if you read the old California Journal, which was a magazine that came out once a month in Sacramento. Very influential back then. Yeah. If you read the California Journal in 1991 and 1992, they'll say, yeah, that Jim Brulte, you know, he's going to be a perennial backbencher. You know, he has a lot of potential, but he's not exercising. Did they really? It. Yeah, sure. That had to hurt. Well, it didn't bother Did me because my interest wasn't in impressing the editors of the yeah. California Journal. My interest was impressing the members I served with. So when Bill Jones, after the 92 election, decided not to run for re-election as leader, I was drafted by my colleagues to be leader, and I was unanimously elected leader at the end of my freshman term. And um, so... Yeah, you know, um, actually two things. On the uh, California Journal... I remember now that you mentioned it, they they would have some pretty hard stuff as far as grading people like the dumbest and in, in all kinds of things. Think back, that's 
that's uh, that's not nice. <laughs> yeah, they listed I mean, you from one to eighty. Is that and what it like, was? Yeah, yeah. influence, like, ethics, you know, honesty. Yeah. You know, who, how'd you like to be 80th in yeah. honesty? Oh, and by the way, the leaders... And it's completely their opinion. The leaders were always low. I mean, Willie Brown was not graded well on honesty. I, I wasn't... I mean, anybody who had to actually accomplish something wasn't was viewed as, you know, yeah. it was the... It, it was, was completely the pure, unethical. It was the purists on the left and the right who gave the great speeches, but when you look back on their career, they didn't yeah. do much. Um, and so, you know, the California Journal ultimately stopped doing that. And, um, uh, you know, this yeah. is how it works. The Republicans didn't fill out the application. You know, the, the, there oh. wasn't a cat. There was a questionnaire that went out to every legislative office and it was a long oh. questionnaire and it took a long time to fill out. And the Republicans would like throw it away because they didn't believe in the Cal Journal's ratings. And, you know, when I became leader, I said, hey, we have to go fill this out. You know, we're getting creamed because when the votes come in, the votes are all from the Democrats. And this is kind of an election, right? So once we started making sure that more Republican offices filled them out, Republicans rose in influence, Republicans rose in effectiveness. And after a period of time where Republicans did well, they said, well, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. <laughs> so, you know, coming way too fair. Hey, the mainstream media was a problem back then <laughs> yeah. too. And, uh, by the way, so the monkey's pushing a button. Have you ever seen that YouTube? It's random. They got a monkey and they got like on a computer, they, they bring up numbers in diff- It's like a checkerboard and it'll pop up just random numbers in random places on this checkerboard. And it goes away within an instant, it just comes up and it goes away. And the, and the monkey can push exactly the right numbers in the right locations that he just saw him for a split second. Amazingly, consistently. And no human could do that. You're, you, there's no way you could remember it. It's like 10 numbers. And they even have them get distracted. And someone comes in a room, does something. And the monkey looks over there, and this goes right back to doing the numbers again. Interesting. Maybe, maybe the monkey is not doing the numbers. He's doing the space where the numbers were. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't it, seen it. It was, it was random numbers, though. You'd have to do one here, five there, six. Remember the sequence oh. of the numbers. So it's, you it's know, I've, 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 I've never seen that. But uh, I don't know if this happened when you were a freshman. Um, when I was, we used to prank people when I was in. The, oh, I, I did you know, a few good we, So uh, for your listeners... When you get to the assembly, um, the votes in the Senate are voice votes. So you have to say yes or no, aye or no. In the assembly, it's all done by recorded uh, roll call, electronic roll call, because there are 40 senators. It's easier to do a voice vote than it is uh, 80 assembly members. And so you come in, you open your desk, you take out your key, and you turn your voting machine on. And then there's a red button and a green button. We would always try to figure out who the least intelligent freshman was. And, you know, it doesn't take long. You know, it's, it takes a while to figure out who the real smart guys are. But real dummies, they out themselves right away. They just, they just do. It, and it's, by the way, it's not in politics. It's in most, <laughs> my, most places. So... We would figure out who the least bright member of the legislature was, and then we would take the red button out and put it in the green hole and the green button out and put it in the red hole. So when it came time to vote, you know, he pushes the green button to vote yes because everybody's voting yes, but up on the scoreboard at the front of the assembly, he's up there no, and then he's pushing the buttons and going, you know, Wait a minute. trying to figure out what the <laughs> heck's going on. It was just one of the things we did um, when to every freshman, every freshman, whoever the I, least smart was, every freshman class got one of those. I got to tell you, I, I did, I got to say, one of my best jokes in my life, and I'm sure it'll come back to haunt me at some point. But um, so we were getting ready to go on Easter vacation and uh, the week or whatever it is. And there was, um, a bu- you know, the budget deal. But this is back in 09, you know, yeah. when the world was falling. But it might have been the next year, 10, I don't remember. But, you know, just the budget's never getting in balance. It's just a constant grind to get. So um, we're getting ready. So I told uh, 
Who did I tell? Oh, Bill Berryhill. And, um, former assemblyman former from assembly, the Central Valley. Yep. And then I think maybe a, a staff person. I said, let's tell them we got a deal. And let's go in there and say, we're, vo- we're voting for it. You guys don't have to, but just want to let you know we're putting up our votes because we think it's a good deal, but don't worry about it. You don't have to vote for it. So we'll be the sacrificial lambs. So, and then I called John Prez, the speaker at that time. So I called John. I said, hey, I want to do this joke where I'm going to say we got a deal done. You come in. I'm going to text you, and then you come in to, to the caucus, you know, just a pre-caucus meeting, like 10 people in the leadership or whatever. I uh, said, come in here and just say, hey, thanks for doing this deal. Fantastic and all that. He said, okay. So I go in there. And um, just as, I don't remember, six or eight people gathered in there to talk about before we go on the floor, how are we going to vote, whatever. And I said, just want to let you know, uh, just talk to a speaker. We got a, we got a budget deal, and uh, Barry Hill and I are going to vote on it. So you guys don't have to. It's all right. But just want to let you know it's, it's a good deal and the best we're going to get. So we can all go take the Easter break now. And everybody just had this look on their face like, what the hell are you doing? First of all, why have you not told anybody about it? Why are you doing this in secret? And why are you doing this at all? There's no good budget deal. And then I remember Jim Nielsen, who's now a senator, now a was, senator. was probably there when you were there, came back. But he, he, he was just, <laughs> the look on his face was just horror. And he gets up and he's all, as the budget vice chairman of the committee, I would have appreciated a little heads up on this before. I said, Jim, I'm so sorry. I should have called you. My mistake. And he was just pissed. And then Jim Silva just walks out. <laughs> Jim Silva, conservative from Orange wrong. County. <laughs> didn't want anything to do with it. He just takes off. And I get, and then I think Diane Harkey just starts laying into me. Said, Another Are conservative you from Orange County. traitor. Yes, that's just, this is insane. You can't do this. And everybody was just almost ready to kill me. I mean, they were almost like ready to get out of their seats and attack. And right at that point, Perez walks in. He said, hey, how you guys doing? I just want to thank Brian and Bill for voting for this. A good budget deal. And these people are just pissed like i said they, they were just ready to explode <laughs> and then finally we, i couldn't take it more because i figured that something bad's gonna happen i said no nah, we're just kidding there's no budget deal <laughs> well you know members of the legislature republican or democrat are human beings you know we as i said it's you know politics as you know is not personal to me i don't think democrats are evil i just think they're wrong on most of their policies um, but we're also human mm-hmm. and, you know, we have the same human sense of humor. We have the same human frailties, you know, when, you know, when my mother died, a member, a Democrat member of the legislature was one of the few people at her funeral, uh, burial, a lot of the members of the legislature came down for her funeral. Um, but you know, you, you work really hard, um, sometimes during the last days of session or when you're doing a budget, you may be on the floor of the Senate or the Assembly for 14 or 16 we hours. We did 24 hours twice. And so things happen. I mean, we used to have, um, we would have squirt gun fights sometimes, <laughs> not on the floor, but, you know, in the hallways in the middle of the night because you're trying to stay awake. Yeah, you're killing hours. I silly string. Do you remember silly string? Oh, yeah. I silly stringed Governor Wilson once when he was giving a talk uh, out outside of his office. He was talking to a group of people, and I had this silly string, and his chief of staff said, oh, you don't have the guts to silly string him. And I silly stringed him, and... Um, Capitol Police didn't think too highly of that. <laughs> you were uh, on the ground then. <laughs> Governor Wilson stopped in the middle of his speech, and and I actually have a nice picture somewhere of him getting ready to silly string me because turnabouts, uh, turnabouts, fair play. Yeah. One one night when it was really late, uh, and what some people, some of your listeners, if they're in a cable district that actually carries the California Channel. Uh, most districts don't, interestingly enough. Um, the legislature is televised. So we had a, um, we decided to have a game. We were the Senate, we were in recess because we were waiting for the assembly to catch up. So we said, hey, let's play a game and see how many times you can get on TV in the assembly. So four, four members of the Senate went over to the Assembly, and if, you know, if Assemblyman uh, 
if Assemblyman uh, David Knowles was speaking, these four senators would go and stand behind them so they would be on TV, and then some other Assemblyman would speak, and they'd move over to there. And you know, it's just That's funny. We it's give, just a way of killing time yeah. and burning off energy. You know, because nobody likes working twenty four hours right. a, without rest. Yeah, we actually the funny thing is we did kind of a similar thing last couple of years. Yeah, and you got to you got to be able to mix it up a little bit. Try and be funny, have fun, and also with your uh, colleagues on the other side of the aisle. If you can laugh about stuff, have a good joke with them, and so it's going to make it a hell of a lot easier when you're dealing with the other stuff. Well, so. the place to fight is out in the community during election in time. In your district, yeah. And, you know, that's, right. that's where you have to fight, um, and you have to fight for what you believe on, on the floor, but, you know, you can argue without being offensive— you know, you can you, you, you can make your point right. without being rude. One of the things that disappoints me uh, with politics today is the real demonization. You know, it's and it, it the real hyper partisanship. I think began um, uh, at the end of the Nixon administration. You know the hyper-partisanship really didn't exist that much during the Ford or uh, Carter administrations. I think it picked up in the Clinton administration. You know, you had people who didn't go to Bush's inaugural because they thought he was illegitimate. Um, you had Republicans calling Barack Obama un-American. I mean, Barack yeah. Obama wasn't un-American. And then you have, you know, these people yeah. who, before he's even sworn into office, want to impeach Donald Trump. And it's we've really... We've really made policy uh, politics more about personal attacks than discussions of public policy. You want to fix the welfare system? You're accused of hating poor people. Yeah, you know it's just it's crazy. I, it, I don't know if we're going to get through this unscarred as a, as a nation or as our state. As far as the intolerance, as you just talked about, now is rampant, and particularly in colleges, as we've all heard about. And I got kids in college, and it's. Um, it's scary. The, the one place you're supposed to explore ideas, you're supposed to argue, you're supposed to learn by arguing, they shut it down. It's, where do you think this ends? Do you think it just continues like that? You know, I don't know. You know, Berkeley, Berkeley used to call it's, itself the, the birth of the free speech movement, which I kind of think was a little arrogant. I kind of think the birth of the free speech movement was the convention where they adopted the constitution um and right after it where they ratified the first amendment that guaranteed the free expression thereof but it's it it disappoints me that we cannot have a civil debate about public policy um because we debate issues now within the context of moral absolutes yeah if you want to fix yep. welfare you hate Poor people. And you're automatically, they characterize every other belief based on your one, that one thing you just said. They'll already paint a picture. I know all of your positions already, and they're all morally repugnant, so we're no need to talk. Yeah. And I think that's disappointing. You know, one of the things I ran into, you know, and by the way, we, most people only spend time talking to their team today. You know, Mm -hmm. most Republicans talk to Republicans and Democrats talk to Democrats. I used to talk to any group that would listen. You know, I would meet with union folks. And, and, you know, invariably I would hear people say, well, you know, if every Republican was like you, I'd consider voting Republican more often. And I don't think it was anything about me in particular. I think it was I took the time to talk to people Mm -hmm. and you talk to people and you know you can respectfully disagree you can disagree without being disagreeable and we've kind of lost that uh today lost it i think and and it it's do you think it works itself out or what do you because oh yeah look we've you know we you know America survived the presidency of James Buchanan, so well, trust me on that, this. But. Trust me on this. We will, we will survive. Um, and it's important that we have that debate. You know, uh, political arguments is what founded our country. What you don't want to have is a society 
where you get put in jail right. for having your expression made. But we'll get over it. You know, there's always there's always a pendulum, um, and it swings, and we'll get back to a more civil uh, debate. But but understand, I mean, there's. I'm not sure there's anything that liberals have said about Donald Trump that was worse than what was said about Abraham Lincoln by his opponents. Um, yeah, so I, this, I, you know, this yeah. is this is not a. Uh, it's not unusual. They they talked about some of the first elections in our history were very nasty. I mean, they just flat out made shit up and put it out in pamphlets and stuff like that. So yes, but today though, it just seems. Um, for, well, first of all, the social media and everything, it's instantly out to everybody. Sure. So it's, it's so easier to spread. But and by the way, things that are not true move around the Internet geometrically faster than <laughs> things that are true. Exponentially, yeah. You know, if, yeah. I, if, I, yeah, if right. I believed half the things I've read about me, I would have killed myself years <laughs> ago. So, but it, it's, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not as optimistic short term just because it's, it's, be, it's built into the structure now, it seems like. As you said, everybody's talking to their own team. Everybody's watching their own channel with their own team. I think we got a ways to go, I'm afraid. I, I'm, I'm sure we'll get out of it, too, I guess, at some point, but I don't know at what price. Um, it just seems like, say, it's just getting embedded and ingrained throughout the culture. Um, eh. Well, we'll have to uh, help help lead us out of it. You know, I did hear a good comment. Neil Ferguson, he's a uh, professor at, at Stanford now, was at Harvard, and he writes historical books, but also politics, and he leans center-right. But he talked about, somebody was saying, well, you know, he's, isn't it horrible Trump got elected? And I, I can't remember exactly what the context was, but something about Trump. And he said, well, think if he didn't get elected. He said, there probably would have been a revolution on our hands. He said, you, you should be glad you have to let out that there was a lot of anger, there still is, and there's frustration, and you have to have a venue for that, and that's what politics is about, that's what America is about. And if you bottle that up, that's when you get a big problem. So maybe it does Look, sort the, itself out. The pendulum swings. It's not accidental. It's not accidental that we had eight years of Eisenhower. Then we had eight years of Democrats, the Kennedy-Johnson year. Then we had eight years of Republicans. Then we had four years of Democrats. Then we had the anomaly. We had eight years of Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush was elected to Ronald Reagan's third term. So we had 12 years. Then we had eight years of Clinton, eight years of Bush, eight years of Obama. So the pendulum does swing back and forth. You know, hardcore Democrats are always gonna be Democrat. Hardcore Republicans are always gonna be Republicans. But there are tens of millions of votes in the middle, and they move from one side to the other. They move towards the Democrats, and when the Democrats do things that are a little bit too um, liberal, they move towards the Republicans. And when the Republicans are in power and they do too many things that the great center of America doesn't like, the center moves back. So I am confident that our future is bright, um, I just am glad that I'm not an elected official today. Um, it's tough enough being the chairman of the minority party in the state, but I think it's more difficult to be an elected official today than it was when you and I were there because we really didn't have Twitter and we didn't have Facebook. It was just come when I was there. It just, and I, I didn't see the value of it then in the amount of time you can spend on that stuff is amazing. It can take up your whole day. I mean, the tweets come in every second almost. It's yeah. like, well, I guess I can sit here and read this all day. And, and people do. They get so hooked on it. I got to get something out there. I got to get something out there. And particularly, not politics, but young, I'm worried about my kids and, and young kids. They, they're so desperate for this feedback. Put something, and I know politicians are too. You put something out, I got to see if you got anything back, you know, how many likes or whatever. That that's, has a bad side to it, and I don't know exactly how that manifests itself. But Well, I am not only tech illiterate, although I do use an iPhone. I don't have a Twitter account. Well, oddly enough, you do, but you haven't used in a long time. <laughs> I got back on Twitter when I lost in 2014. I just never went back. Now, 
on social media now with the podcast. Oh, I guess I got to put something out there. I get on Twitter. Well, I got to follow Jim Brulte. Jim Brulte picked it, followed, then realized last tweet, 2013, I from never, your staff, I'm I, sure. I, I assure you I never had a Twitter <laughs> account. I assure you I never had a Twitter well, your, account. Well, your office. I also, no, I guarantee you I didn't. I also don't have a Facebook account, but there's some Jim Brulte <laughs> Facebook account that's not mine. Oh, we, really? We can't get it pulled down. But I was at an event last night. No kidding. That's I was in an event last night with some Republicans, and and um, they said to me, "How do you tolerate the Facebook stuff?" I said, "I'm not on Facebook. I, you know, I don't have to know what people are talking about on Facebook to do my job, which is to go raise money, to go recruit volunteers, to help elect Republicans, and I will not consider my life incomplete." if I'm never on Facebook and I'm never on Twitter. But it's good to know that there's a Twitter account sure because I'll, I'll try to figure yeah. out how to get that pulled down because I assure you it's not mine. So, and I've taken up a lot of your time, and, um, but I want to segue on that really quickly also. How do you see campaigns unfolding, though, on social media? I mean, now I think budgets are now equal to social media as they are to TV buys and mail, or at least getting close. It's well, sure. Campaigns evolve. You know, in the old days, you know, when you were running for president, you stayed at home, <laughs> well, you know, and people yeah. people came, came to you to, and yeah. you gave speeches. You know, try try that today. I'm going to stay at Trump Tower. You can all come see me. It doesn't work that way. Campaigns evolve. Um, they used to use handout flyers. Then we had direct mail. Radio was used. Then television. For every medium, there is a political use for it. By the way, there's also a political misuse for it, which is why we need disclosure laws. So social media matters. Let me give you an example. We just had a recall of a Democrat senator, Josh Newman, and not knowing what the turnout would be. You know, we had turnout models, and based on a turnout of X, we thought we had a 52% probability of winning. Well, the turnout was X minus, and so we ended up winning rather easily by about 18 points. But we did not know that Tuesday of Election Day. So one of our staff came up and said to me, Senator, do you mind doing um, get-out-the-vote texts? And I said, what do I have to do? And they said, well, log in, download this app. That's the first problem for you. <laughs> well, I downloaded the yeah, I know, I have an iPhone. <laughs> I know how to download the app. And they, they had already loaded in the voter database. And a text would come up that said, liberal Josh Newman voted to raise your gas tax. You've not yet voted. Please, your vote is important. Your polling place is wherever. And I would push a button. All right, not a button. I would push the screen. And a new name and address would pop up. And I pushed the screen again. And I did 400 individual get out the vote texts just by pushing yeah. a button. That's or amazing. Just by, and we, the, just using the staff, we did almost 12,000 of them. I, you know, I asked the staff, what does this cost? And their answer yeah. was, I don't know, but we're pulling out all the stops. Yeah. And you know, it's just the, the cost a, a, is the list. A new way. My yeah. girlfriend says, I keep getting these texts to vote. It's really irritating me. I said, well, it may irritate you, but the surveys show that it's effective. Yeah. So, you know, before we had phones, there weren't phone banks, but now phone banks. TV was big, but now with TiVo, um, you can fast forward through the commercials. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I don't watch a football game in real time. Oh, no, I, I watch I, Red Zone. I, I watch Ford same time. I, I watch, <laughs> I watch, I go home. Yeah, nobody wants No, but don't tell like me about the Chargers. <laughs> and I... You know, I turn the game on and I fast That's forward yeah. through the commercials and the huddles, and I can watch it's a great. full football game inside of 15 minutes. All right. So, yeah, I, it's, things evolve. Yeah. Well, um, just like 
podcasts didn't exist a decade ago. It it truly is amazing. I mean, the little overhead, if very little, you put it out there, it's it's fantastic, actually. I mean, the amount of podcasts out there is unlimited. I would, well, it's obviously limited in some degree, but I keep searching, finding more and more and more. It is, and good stuff. I think, my God, the amount of good content now on a podcast on YouTube, you can watch these lectures from, you know, famous people, uh, in whatever field you want to learn, you can learn a hell of a lot. TED Talks. A, yeah. These, it's amazing the amount of... We're going to be smart. That's one thing I'm sure of yeah, in the future. TED Talks. Well, mm-hmm. I have appreciated the opportunity to be a part of your podcast. And if there's anyone that listens that um, likes the job I did, thank you so much. And if there are people that don't like the job I did, good news. I'm 62. I'm a lot closer <laughs> to the end of my life than the beginning of my life. So there's hope that I'll be gone soon. Well, wait, on that no, what's your, your term as chairman of the party is? It uh, ends February 24th, 2019. So then you got four more years after that. I can run again for another two years. <laughs> um, I'm not going to run again for another two years. It's time for somebody younger um, well, Jim, you, you've been a, a wealth of experience for everybody in the party. Um, I'm sure there's a long line of people that you have mentored and uh, people you probably don't even know that um, you've led through the years. A- as we mentioned earlier, the first freshman to be a leader in the Assembly and the Senate to be chairman of the party. Um, it's just your stature in California is huge and um, Hopefully, people learn from that, build on that, and uh, that's the way our party system works. And thanks for all your good work. Really appreciate it. And thanks for your time today. Well, thank you.